This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today is April 2nd, 2020, and we are in the midst of the pandemic. Michael Lovell is our guest today on Health Geek, and we couldn't have a more appropriate guest. President Lovell is a scholar, researcher, educator, and leader, and is the first lay president in the history of Marquette University. He'll be joining us today to talk about trauma and mental health and really all that's going on in this new world we find ourselves living in. So, President Lovell, we're very happy to welcome you to Health Geek today. Oh, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you want our listeners to know about you. I grew up in a small town in Western Pennsylvania. I came from pretty humble beginnings and my own family unit, you know, had a lot of issues. I myself come from a trauma background, you know, particularly around my mother had some mental health issues. My father battled alcoholism and some other things. And so, you know, obviously my upbringing, like many people in this country, was not ideal. I really think that part of my success in life has been the fact other people in my life, other than my immediate family unit, that was looking after my own best interest and my own growth as a person and helping me reach my potential. And these included teachers and coaches and people involved in our church and some of my friends' parents. And so really, you know, I've always been interested in trauma and, you know, as later in my life, I've been more introduced to mental health, but I went to the University of Pittsburgh, got three degrees as a mechanical engineer. To be honest with you, I never expected myself to ever become a university president. Certainly when I left school, I started out my career with a startup software company. We went public and at that point I went back into academia. And so I've spent the better part of the last 20, 25 years in higher education and a set of circumstances that only, I think, you know, God has a plan for you with, I ended up becoming a university president. But I can just tell you that it certainly is anything I ever aspired to. It just, you know, sometimes when you make decisions and you follow uh, God's plan, you end up in some very interesting places. We know you had trauma in your life, but how is that manifested in your life now? So my wife, Amy, she was a pharmacist and she worked in a, a psychiatric hospital, you know, and she worked for several years. We first got married before we started having our children. Through her, I always was exposed to mental health and she worked on the pediatric floor. So she was working with kids with mental health challenges. And so we were aware how big a role that trauma played on some of the challenges that individuals faced in their life. And particularly many times they manifested in things about behaviors around mental health. But it wasn't until recent years that really the brain science has come along to help us learn about the fact that trauma can be passed from generation to generation and it can have significant both mental and physical health challenges to individuals that have experienced trauma. And it was really about two and a half years ago, we were hosting a forum here on campus talking about trauma and its impacts on society. And we had eight different segments of our population representative where we had people from the healthcare system, people from education, people from you know the corporate side, and employers. We had people from the criminal justice system, police force, and you know, just this whole group of people talking about some of the root causes of the challenges they faced in the different fields. And then they started peeling things back. It had to do with trauma that individuals had faced, and particularly 
you know, over generations many times, you know, in a place like Milwaukee, where we were manufacturing capital of the country back in the 80s, and we lost all the manufacturing and all the things that have happened to the individuals in different parts of our city that have faced trauma and how that has perpetuated itself. And for people to overcome these challenges and become resilient, which we all need to be, we have to heal from our trauma. And so I became very interested with my wife about how we can help the city become more trauma-informed and actually provide tools to both individuals and organizations to help heal our community and heal people with trauma. And so we started something called Scaling Wellness in Milwaukee, which has become a coalition of oh, about eight or 900 people from over 400 organizations, you know, actively come to our meetings. We've hosted conferences and we've had national experts come in, talk about trauma anywhere from the brain science, some of the, the leaders in the country of understanding the brain science and epigenetics of you know how trauma not only impacts our mental health, but also our physical health. We're so much predisposed to so many other ailments, such as diabetes or heart disease, if we've experienced trauma in our lives or even our parents had, but also then looking at how substance abuse, alcoholism, suicide rates you know go up significantly with people if they experience trauma. And so again, helping people become resilient, you know, heal from their adversities is something that is really important. We've learned essentially when I went back and thought about how I became successful with the background I had, it was the caring relationships. And that's really what the research shows is that the way we heal from our trauma is through caring relationships and being able to work with individuals that have empathy and try to meet them where they are and help them you know, realize that they can overcome some of the challenges they have in their lives. You know, we hear trauma. Trauma is used a lot. Like, oh, I'm so traumatized. Oh, my goodness. And now in this environment, I think there's a collective trauma, obviously. But how do you define trauma in your description of it? Scientifically, there's something called the ACE score that we can all take a simple test of answering 10 questions. And ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And again, they range, you know, for a, a wide variety of things like uh, within our family units, whether it be sexual abuse or physical abuse or families with alcoholism, families with mental health, you know, families that deal with the death of parents and divorce. And, you know, they're these questions to deal with. So those are things as we're kids that we experience trauma. But then when we become adults, there are a lot of other things that are outside of the scope of that. And it could be just experience a violent accident, experience some kind of you know violence that you either foresee or happens uh, to you to some things that maybe you experience in your personal life. And again, I think what we're experiencing here now with COVID-19, I think it's been traumatic for a lot of people because suddenly lives are turned upside down. People are losing their job, experience these terrible financial implications that they didn't expect. You know, and again, these things are all trauma. And it's really, we think about trauma, it's something that causes a physical response in our bodies. And so we often use the idea of your fight or flight mechanism. If you're walking down a path and encounter a bear or a lion, you immediately, you know, go into a traumatized response where you go into your back brain, where you either flee or fight or you just stand still. You know, everybody's reaction is different in terms of the way that they want to do this. But it, the idea is, is that it activates a different part of our brain when we're experiencing trauma. We hear a lot of time PTSD, you know, for soldiers, for example, because what they experience is so traumatic and violent and hard for them to overcome. And so, again, it's anything that takes us out of the frontal lobe of our brain where we're able to use our reasoning and our cognition to work through things to somewhere where given a response, you know, their body just reacts to and we don't necessarily have a lot of control over it. So what happens when people who already experience trauma and then there's a pile on of this COVID-19 happening, what happens? What happens is, is when we get into a situation that either is similar or takes ourselves back to that situation, we call those triggering moments. 
we are all are triggered by different things. And so if you've experienced significant trauma and you haven't been able to heal from that trauma, then when you're exposed to it again, you actually go back to that same place where you were before. When you are traumatized, you're not able to think and react in a logical path like we are when you're calm and you're in a much more meditative state. And so for individuals, again, that have experienced very hard things in their lives and then you have something like COVID-19 and suddenly they're looking around and their asses separate themselves with social distancing, but they live in situations where they can't. And so they said, well, if you can't social distance, then you need to have masks, you need to have this hand sanitizer and these wipes. And if you're in the inner city, there's no grocery stores and you can't even buy those things if you want to. And so suddenly you can imagine how anxious you would become in those situations and almost reach a panic state because you don't feel like you're able to protect yourself. And so these are some of the things that you know we know residents within our cities are going through that even within the city of Milwaukee, all of the deaths have been in the African-American community particularly on the north side of our city where a majority of the African-American population lives. And so these are individuals that are now very fearful you know, of their own protection and it just builds on their existing trauma and the anxiety and fear that they're now living every day. What do you do? The good thing about the brain they've learned is the brain now has a lot more plasticity than we thought, which means you can retrain your brain to not be as reactive to the trauma's that you've experienced in the past. And so you can create new pathways. And so really through mindfulness and prayer and meditation, when you fall into an experience before that would have triggered you, you can actually have a different re reaction. And so one of the tools we want to help people with is first recognize the trauma that they've been exposed to and try to recognize what their response is to certain environments or actions that happen to them and help them work through different scenarios so that they actually can do different things in different ways in those scenarios. And again, you know, mindfulness, you know, and prayer are great practices and, and reflection, you know, about those things are really ways to do that. But also making people ensure that they know that they're cared for and there's empathy there, hopefully, you know, we are trying to create paths for people to be successful. So even within the inner city now is trying to create different ways that we can provide individuals with some of the supplies and things that they need to feel safe in their own apartments or their homes that they're living in. Like many parts of the city, we have all different kinds of drives to bring supplies and food and other things to individuals that maybe now don't have access to what they need on a daily basis. We were talking about trauma earlier. Can you tell our listeners how trauma works? When we experience trauma, we actually pass it on to our children through their DNA. And so there's certain responses that our genes would have that would predispose individuals to certain either mental or physical illnesses because trauma happened to our parents. For example, when we think about mental health, you know, we know that there is now a physical link to the mental health trauma that your parents experience to mental health or physical health, you know, we might have. And so if our parents were exposed to significant trauma, then we would be predisposed based on our DNA to certain types of physical or mental ailments. So in our cases, our parents were right after the Depression, or in Dora's case, her father was in World War II. So any traumas that they had then now pass to us? Yep. And they may or may not ever be expressed in our lives, depending on, you know, what we're exposed to as well. And so it just means that we're predisposed to certain things based on what our parents experienced. That's so fascinating. So now probably even more important than ever is you getting this message out to everybody, because this is a time that we're all collectively experiencing something and young mothers are bringing in children into the world now. 
as we think about things, how we can educate individuals. Well, if you have a young mother or someone who's going to become a young mother that experienced trauma, if they can heal themselves, they can help them from passing on certain things onto their kid. Healing can happen now at any level of our lives. And the earlier we can do it, the better. So if we can either help kids become resilient and help them heal from the trauma they experience, or, or even better, not have them be exposed to trauma at all, that's the ideal case. But all of us have experienced trauma in our lives. And more than half the public has at least a score of one in their ACE score. And so more than half of us have experienced trauma, you know, as a kid that ultimately we should try to think about how we can heal from that. Two questions on that. One is, can you tell us about the ACE score? So I think more people need to understand that. But then the second is, what about this idea that if you're practicing mindfulness, how does that play though, if you haven't healed your trauma? Well, I'll go to the second question first. So if you haven't healed your trauma, when you get triggered, you're going to go to a place that's not healthy for yourself or others. And so the idea is, is that first we have to recognize the trauma that being aware is, is step one. And step two, it, it does, it takes hard work to understand how you react from that trauma and what triggers us to react. And, you know, we all have reacting tendencies and that takes a lot of hard work. And then working through how you can help yourself and really think about how you can change the way you react to those tendencies so that you do it in a healthy way than an unhealthy way. And then it's very easy to find the A score online. You could just put adverse child experiences and you'll see the set of 10 questions. And again, it really has to do with things we experience as children and has to do really mostly with our family unit, whether we were physically or, or sexually abused, whether we had you know alcoholism and violence in our families, divorce, death of a loved one, you know, these are all things that are a part of that test. And my A score was five. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that with a A score five that I was able to kind of achieve the success I have in my life because most people with A score five, their likelihood of having a successful life significantly goes down. And also then again, in terms of your physical health, the physical ailments that happen with individuals with A scores of more than four, they typically have a shorter life and experience a lot more physical challenges in their lives as well. It sounds like trauma is something you always have to manage, or is it ever something that is healed? You know, I think we all are on a journey, you know, in our lives to be the best versions of ourselves. And I think that we're always constantly on that journey. And I will just say that being a mechanical engineer two and a half years ago, not knowing much about trauma and all that I've learned, not only about trauma and the brain science behind it, but also the reflection that I've been able to do about myself and be able to help myself kind of heal and grow. And I've had some remarkable experiences through all this. One of the things that was really powerful for me is when I was growing up and when I was in middle school, you know, I had a point in my life where I was essentially on my own because my parents' situation, my father had moved away out of state. My mother had had significant mental illness where she was hospitalized and my sister was older. So it was just me at home by myself. And when you're 13, 14 years old, you know, when you're kind of by yourself, there's a lot of bad paths you could have taken. And I was fortunate enough that I had one of my friend's parents took me in during this time for three or four weeks. And then even after that, you know, really treated me like their own son. And I was reflecting back, you know, how maybe they saved me. And I was able to reach out to my friend and then ultimately meet and go see and talk to his mother to be able to thank her in person for what they did for me. Because I really believe that my friend's family probably changed the trajectory of my life at that point in time. Because again, there's a lot of things you could get into, negative coping and other things that can happen when you're at that age and you get on the wrong path. And they really helped. That must be incredible to have that space in your heart for so much gratitude. How has gratitude played into your life? 
Gratitude is a very important part of any type of healing you go through, being thankful for what you do have. And, you know, again, one of the things that I've experienced, you know, through the scaling walls in Milwaukee, I was very fortunate to be from a small town and have a lot of people surrounding me outside of my family unit that were looking after my success and helped me navigate life in a way that I was able to be resilient and successful. When I think about kids in the inner city that don't have those units around them, not only is their family unit out there, but they don't have these other groups of caring adults that I had in my life. And, you know, how are they ever going to be successful? So I think about some of the disparities. We already know, like, we know our healthcare system, there's significant disparities within our inner cities. But think about the other parts of this. These kids, they're experiencing violence in their neighborhoods. They're seeing their cousins or hearing their cousins getting shot and killed. How are they going to overcome the trauma that they're facing without these units and other people caring for them? And so one of the things that we're really trying to do with Scaling West Milwaukee is there's a lot of really good community organizations within these neighborhoods that don't have the ability to scale up and do some of the great work that's happening places like the Boys and Girls Club, you know, that really can help them address some of the issues that we know some of our youth are facing. Then how has your Jesuit perspective helped you in this environment? Oh, and so there's a lot of really important aspects of kind of the Jesuit education traditions that really line up well with healing from trauma. And then the first is there's something called cure personnel, which is care for the whole person, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And so to heal from trauma, you're healing from all three. And the idea of mindfulness is something that is very Jesuit. And we're asked to do something called a daily exam where we look at our day and, and look at what we've experienced, where we can show gratitude where we maybe have fallen short, maybe where we can do better and constantly going through that on a daily basis, you know, again, that really falls in line with, with helping us heal from maybe some of the trauma we've experienced. It's very cool that you're the first non-Jesuit university president and life on university campuses will never be the same. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your thoughts? Like every other part of our society, higher education has been turned upside down in the last month. To imagine that we sent our students away for spring break the first weekend of March and they never came back and it's not anything that we (laughs) expected or they expected, right? And and so now they're going through an experience of mourning because think about your college life, what an important social development that is for you. You're surrounded by your friends. What you learn in the classroom is really only half of what you learn in college because it's where you're finding yourself, you're growing as a person, and so much of that is experiences you have with other individuals, whether it be your interaction with your peers, whether it be interaction with other mentors or the interaction with your faculty members, it's just completely, you know, turn the student experience from very personalized to something that's now online. And so again, the students themselves are really missing being on campus. You know, particularly they miss their friends. And I would say the hardest group right now that you know I feel the worst for is seniors, seniors. Uh, that are graduating. And you can imagine your last semester senior year, you're looking forward to all these great end of college celebrations, including graduation, and suddenly graduation has been postponed and for you not to be able to spend those last few months with people that you've been close to for all this time, it's, it's really difficult. And so there's the social aspect they're missing, but then they're also, you know, our faculty and staff now have to totally transform what they do to a virtual world. And, you know, I've been very proud of the way that our campus and our faculty have, within a week's time, we're able to get all of their classes online. But it's more than just that now, because now, you know, how do you do office hours? How do you do our counseling center, you know, our, our healthcare center? You know, how do we have telemedicine and telehealth? And it's not going to ever be the same again, I don't believe, because we've now gone into this place 
where we do have everything online in the digital space. And so things are going to be different. And I would just say that one of the big things we're seeing now is high school seniors, you know, they're going through something similar. But now you can imagine trying to make your college decision. Oh, Most yeah. of them haven't been able to come visit the schools now that they want to visit their final schools for a final decision. And they can't come visit the schools. Parents and families, I can just tell you, they're very leery of sending their students far, far away because there's rumored this may come back again in the fall and they want them to be close to be able to bring them back. And some people are talking about a gap year just to see how this all plays out. And so it's really put things, you know, in a sense of uncertainty, not only for institutions, but for families of students, because we don't know what the future is going to look like. You know, what's happening now at the K through 12 level, you know, I still have a son who's in high school and, you know, he's in school all day, you know, on his Chromebook. The students are now going to be more used to, and you know, even from a younger age, learning in a virtual environment. And so I think that that is just going to become more mainstream now that we know we have the capabilities and capacity to do that. We're always going to have the need you know, for have students be residential on campuses for a lot of the things we talked about before. But now I even think that students on campus will take more classes you know, online in a digital space even when they're living here. You know, even myself, I feel very unconnected to the campus. You know, that's something that I crave. It's one of the things, you know, for those of us who are in higher ed that come to higher ed, we're here to really interact with the students. That's what draws us here. And so I miss that. In fact, tomorrow I'm doing a virtual coffee hour with a set of students. You know, it's not going to be the same, but at least I'll be able to have a conversation to see how they're doing and what's going on. You know, I think that for students, you know, my big message is don't isolate yourself. Don't feel isolated. Find other ways to connect to your friends because, you know, we all need that human interaction. Interaction. That's just the way we're wired. And now we have to find new and different ways to do it. How are you personally taking care of yourself, your mind and body? I'm at a stay-at-home situation here in Wisconsin. You know, I, I try to exercise every day. So I, I usually, I run a lot of days. I have a Peloton at home. And so I, I still am getting some exercise. Uh, you know, I, I would say that my prayer life is going really well. We have plenty of time to pray and reflect. And my wife and I were talking yesterday that I think we pray more together than we have the whole time in our marriage. We pray in the morning and the night together. And so that part is there. And I will say that the one nice thing about all of this is that I do have two college-age kids that are at home now. And having that family dinner again, I have one daughter who's in Oregon graduate school. She's not back, but everybody else is back home to have those family dinners and conversations in the family time. We had a movie night, a couple of movie nights that we were all together watching a movie, which we hadn't done in a while. So that self-care is important, you know, in, in being able to connect you know, with our immediate family units again, I think is one of the positive aspects of what's happened. One of the things, President Lovell, that we ask all our guests on our show, and people have a lot more time to read now, what book would you recommend everybody read? The most transformational book, and I'm going to pitch this because it's around trauma, is a book called The Deepest Well. And it's written by Nadine Burke Harris, who is a doctor in the Oakland, California area. And she's really the one who unlocked the relationship between your A-score and the long-term health challenges that you will face going forward. Because what she realized from her patients that she was seeing there was this direct link between the trauma that he experiences and some of the health issues, particularly around asthma in kids. The great thing about the book that even though she's a doctor, it's written in a way that we can all understand. It's very much written for a layperson. And so I was going to say, if anyone wanted to really unlock and understand how trauma and your generational trauma has impacted you and your family and society in general, that is by far the best book to read. Do you have an inspirational quote that you like to share with people during this time or any time? Well, you know, I do think, and maybe it's not really a quote, but I do think that this gives us a time to reflect and spend more time, you know, in prayer and, and looking at our spiritual part of our lives. And let's examine of what's really important 
you know, in our lives and what should we let go of that is not as important? Because again, it really gives us that opportunity to evaluate, you know, where we spend our time and is it the right places to spend our time? And I know I certainly have been thinking a lot about that. And as we said before, the thing that I realized we've been missing on is that time with our families, interacting with our kids. And, you know, I know that it's awkward for them sometimes, but for me, it's been great. And, you know, thinking about slowing down a little bit, because I think now is a time to really, I think I would just offer up, you know, like myself to think about, you know, how we spend our time and is it going to help us be the best version of ourselves. President Level, thank you for joining us. Your work on trauma is so important and timely and needed in this world. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. And, you know, obviously we want everybody to stay healthy and safe and we're going to get through this. You know, I think we've shown that we're resilient individuals and our country's resilient and it's going to be hard, but, you know, we can just lean on each other. We will get through this and we will get through this stronger. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you, sir, for joining us. Uh, Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia. And I'm Doro. Be well.